0: Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week I am talking CPD, being a teacher parent, gender pay gap and flexible working with Emma Shepherd, founder of the Maternity Teacher Paternity Teacher Project. As ever, I'd like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guest and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. And if you hear any tinkling bells in the background of this podcast, don't worry, it was just my cat trying to upstage me and butt into the conversation. Hello. Today, I am joined by Emma Shepherd, who is founder of the Maternity Teacher, Paternity Teacher Project. She's also lead practitioner in charge of ITT and EAL at a large academy chain in South London. And um, yeah, welcome to the to the key voices, Emma. Hello.
1: Hello, hello.
0: <laughs> can you can you tell us a bit about yourself and, and what the maternity t- teacher paternity teacher project is and um, why you set it up?
1: Brilliant. So, other than a mouthful, the InterPU <laughs> project is um, the UK's only network for parent teachers. Um, our core focus is on the parental leave period um, and uh, challenging the idea that that is a gap from professional learning or personal development. Um, and actually uh, our argument is that where teachers choose to that time can be used to complete professional development uh, in a way that positively impacts students when they go back to the classroom so I set it up in 2016 when I was on my first maternity leave with my son I've got two children now Hugo is four and Lucy is two and a half um, and I I suppose that it came from a place, a place of panic initially um, that the identity that I had worked for eight, ten years to to develop as a teacher uh, and was ambitious and wanting career progression and loving what I do um, was suddenly going to be lost because I'd also chosen to become a parent. Um, and that was going to affect me in a way that it wouldn't necessarily affect my male counterparts. So there was a sort of feminist Action, um, part of it. There, um, my husband doesn't let me use the F word, and he would t- tell me off um, if I did that uh, publicly. Um, it's all about equality, not not feminism. Apparently, I tried to explain the same thing, but he doesn't believe me. Um, so, um, so instead of sort of, of being angry about it or sort of banging the, the complaint drum, I thought, well, you know, how does actually having six months out of a classroom how can that be a huge benefit rather than um than something that's detrimental to my career? And what can I be doing during during this time that would keep me happy? Because I I did get bored quite quickly and I did um get a bit down about not being uh, at the high pace that I was used to and not being needed in the same way that I was used to used to and not having the same purpose that I used to as a teacher. Um, and I came up with, with the MTPT project um, and completing professional development on Lee. Um, and since then it's grown from a blog and me doing sort of zany adventures to museums and um, online learning courses um, to lots of regional networks. where we used to do coffee learning, not at the minute, they're all virtual, um, but we still have virtual networking events and uh, we work with schools um, to help them to be more family friendly employers. And we also have um, an accreditation for teachers on parental leave and supporting them with their um, professional development uh, with coaching and certification administration um, of their their training.
0: Fantastic stuff. And, um, yeah, I think uh, as someone who has experienced maternity leave myself, um, I completely agree that um, although, it, it, you know, for, for lots of people and in lots of ways, it is very challenging and and demanding emotionally and adjusting to becoming a mm. a, a parent. But in terms of intellectual stimulation and challenge, can be can be quite lacking, um, mm. and the, that that type that sort of enforced time out of your professional environment can be you know can be quite destabilizing and dis- disorientating. Um, especially Mm. if you've worked you know worked at such a pace and you're passionate and involved in 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 what you do but I Mm. could see that some people um might might be resistant to the idea that you know professional learning is something that you should be doing at this time have you have you met any resistance uh, to to your work or, or campaigning and and what do you do about it
1: um, definitely, in, in the early days we did. Um, and I think what's interesting is, is the word you naturally used there, which is should, um, and sort of challenging that word. Uh, I hate it. Um, there's no should or shouldn't about what people should be doing on the parents' use. and actually what we um, empower is the idea of choice. So um, if teachers or anybody, any parent, is choosing to completely cut off from, from their professional life And that's their choice and they shouldn't be doing anything other than what they choose to do. So nobody should be telling them what they should and shouldn't be doing. Um, And I think that pertains to all sorts of aspects of of motherhood. You know, should you be breastfeeding? Should you be bottle feeding? Should you be baby wearing? Should you be taking them to X class or Y class? Should you be um, playing with them? Should you be leaving them to be independent? Um, And those sort of social messaging um, have just essentially transferred themselves across to what we do, um, because there is so much, uh, so many expectations and judgments around parenthood, particularly motherhood, um, whether those are self, uh, self-put self or whether they've come externally is, is a big philosophical question. I don't know how much pressure I put on myself to do things that I feel I should be doing and actually nobody else has those expectations of me. They're just complete self-invention um but in the early days yeah, we we got um some criticism from um people saying that you know had anybody mentioned the idea of professional development when they were on maternity leave that would have tipped, you know tipped them over the edge in terms of their postnatal depression or that we were damaging to new mothers who at a very vulnerable time in their life that maternity leave was a, a hard you know slog and, and a right that women you know had to to not work and a lot of parents who parented in the 80s were sort of um, in split split minds about it because they hadn't had the, the privileges that we have nowadays in terms of the right to the time off um, and the pay that we have uh, whilst they're off. Um, but what we found is that, that anybody sort of banging the drum to protect privileges of, of women by criticising what we do um, are actually equally just suppressing the choice of, of women like myself and, and women in the community who actually feel hugely fulfilled by uh, keeping in touch, touch with their professional identity. And in many cases, um, mental health and wellbeing are improved by the freedom and the liberation to have some time for ourselves and not just be um, entirely dedicated to, to our new babies. Um, as much as we, we love them, we are human beings uh, in our own right separate to to our children and, and a lot of that teachers is tied in with their with their educational identity
0: yeah and as you say a lot you know it's about it's about choice you're not advocating that the line managers kind of mandate that people do training in mm-hmm. this period but it's if people are kind that, of, that would
1: be illegal exactly to well, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people
0: are self-starting and mm. and, and and want to do this connecting them to other people with whom that you know you can have conversations around um uh you know aspects of professional learning but also share some of those experiences of new motherhood and that, that mm-hmm, you know too. that you kind of extending a network and maybe you don't exclusively just want to talk about um well in my experience poo and mm-hmm. um breastfeeding and so these sorts a, of things.
1: it's a great topic of conversation <laughs> who doesn't love talking about poo it's
0: a rich it's a rich theme of conversation <laughs> all throughout childhood and life but you know i think there's um there is there is something about wanting wanting more for, for yourself and then being able to give more mm-hmm. to other people if you if you receive mm-hmm. it um, but yeah, as, as you say, it, it does stir up a lot of issues, particularly I imagine across the generations um, mm-hmm. um, a- around their experiences of maternity leave. I remember being really angry about anybody who just des- who described the period as a rest, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's the thing. Like it just it just isn't um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, for lots of for lots of different reasons. And so I think it's yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting to hear. To hear how you've how you've developed um, the work that you that you do at this at this period in people's lives, um, but sort of thinking slightly slightly beyond that that initial um, parental leave period, a, a lot of people who I know who, who don't work in schools at, you know and and often don't have children sort of assume that that teaching is is a really easy job to do alongside parenthood because people look at holidays and go oh yeah well your holidays match up surely it's ideal for parents and um you, you, you've recently um, done done some writing about, you know, COVID particularly, and, and and how that's that's made it slightly harder for teacher parents, but also um, hinting at some of the issues that, that that teacher parents face. Can you can you tell us a bit more about about why it can actually be quite difficult to be a parent and a teacher?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, just a caveat, I think it it can be difficult to be a working parent in all aspects of any any industry um and i don't think that our country necessarily i don't know if any countries are necessarily set up to to fully support working parents which is you think bonkers really considering half of the population are are parents um but with teaching it's it's really a case of tiny grains of sand that end up sort of drowning drowning out the possibility of 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 being at work when we need to be at work essentially so yes we get the holidays and they are a joy um especially when the children are a bit more grown up and a bit more able to um, be rational so i'm on um, a two-week half term right now um i get the first week to myself which is amazing and then the second week um i'm really looking forward to doing halloween activities and spending time with them you know, getting sparklers and kicking leaves and that sort of thing and actually genuinely spending some quality time with them i think had you asked me a few years ago when um i had a one-year-old and a two and a half year old um the holidays were <laughs> a rapid period because i was on my own with them 24 hours a day for six weeks in the summer um and that single and solo parenting is is really hard with small children because uh, there's no break um and actually work can be a break uh for parents sometimes um of small children but um, the teaching, in particular, the logistics that that make it hard. So um, nurseries, if they don't open until eight o'clock, in, even in normal times, we are, you know, our director time is five past eight, and we're registering children at half past eight. And if you have a commute from nursery, or want to do any photocopying, or um, you know, have any sort of administrative meetings or anything to do in the morning, you're just not going to make it. So you need um, you need childcare that starts at 6.37 and finishes at 6.37 and not all nurseries do that and primary schools definitely don't do that unless you have some really good wraparound care um even wraparound care which in covid has been really unstable um often finishes at 5.45 and so what a lot of teachers are having to do is is rush at the end of the day and the beginning of the day and then bring work home with them to do uh, once they've done the pickup and once they've done bedtime so that constant um, being switched on from 6 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock when they're finally able to close their laptop, either doing childcare or um, or uh, schoolwork or finding that they're thinking about one or the other at the same time, um, emotionally, is, is a strain. Um, the other issue is pay and childcare costs. So um, the need to return full-time with two children under three uh, their joint childcare cost in nursery was more than three grand a month and um, I'm in a partnership uh, Not everybody is um, And so we were able to split that cost But actually I think at the end of the day after rents um, and all my outgoings I was only earning about 50 pounds more um, And that's because we've got a special deal where I take them out in the holidays and at one point uh, before I went back with my daughter um, I, they weren't going to honor that deal. And so I'd got my, um, resignation letter drafted and sort of was crying to my mum and saying, I'm going to have to quit teaching because I can't afford the childcare. So it's that one tiny decision that can potentially mean, um, mean the end of things for, for women in particular because they still tend to be the lower wage earners in partnership. Um, but even that, you know, if everything logistically works, there's the, the emotional strain. Of teaching that when you're sleep deprived um, when you are trying to concentrate on everybody else apart from yourself can be so so draining um, and different to sort of going to a nice office having a coffee with a nice coffee machine sitting down in front of your desk dealing with adult clients and um, having time to yourself while you're dealing with your emails or your projects on your computer in, in other industries and um, you know, in, in the worst case scenario, you're going to work and you're having teenagers shout at you and threaten you. You're having toxic school leadership make demands on you and infantilise you. You're then going home to children who are maybe unhappy in their childcare provision and they are crying and they don't sleep. Um, and that, after you know, a few weeks, really takes its toll uh, in a way that it doesn't necessarily in other industries. So it can be, it can be difficult. Um, it can be the best job in the world and the best sort of most conducive job in the world, um, but it really depends on how factors are playing together, um, and it entirely depends on each individual case.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, and as you say, there's you know there's some very real logistical challenges, and then that sort of emotional pull around you know how much of your energy and enthusiasm is going into other people's children and then you know where you get those pinch points is you say your child's unhappy how how much how much energy and attention have you have you left for for them which you know is mm-hmm. something that i've i've seen a lot of teachers write and comment about especially just just now um and 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 that's a huge that's a huge thing um mm-hmm. and you 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 mentioned um in your answer there the you know the sort of the gender the pay gap Um, You know, which is which is an issue in 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 all sectors and weirdly in education, given that it's a profession heavily biased towards women. um, Mm -hmm. You know, the gender pay gap in education is a very real issue and maternity or the option to go part time um, has an aggravating factor there. What, Mm -hmm. What more do you think needs to be done to address that gender pay gap?
1: I think it's um, hugely cultural and attitudinal. Um, I mean, as many horror stories as we can tell, there are contexts and settings where it's just a non-issue. It really is. And you'll talk to some school leaders and they'll sort of look at you blankly when you talk about um, sort of discriminatory attitudes or casual sexism or frustrations that other people might be experiencing. And they'll come out with things like, I just, I don't get it. You know, if you've got a perfect candidate for the job, and they're on maternity leave, and you know that they'd be great at that job, you just call them and invite them to interview and provide them with the support that they need in order to do that, because that's what's best for the students in your classroom. And, you know, it's just so straightforward and, and sensible. Um, so those pockets of opportunity that are often missed, so the conversations in the staff room that you see that TLR is up for grabs, or um, you know, conversations over drinks. Oh, did you know so and so? He's um he's gonna step down, so his job will be up. Um, those progression opportunities, um, or the the thinking around performance related pay. So if you don't have a result set, for example, sometimes it's difficult to go through threshold or um go up in your pay cycle because you don't have anything to prove that you've actually met your targets. But if you weren't here for a year because you were on the leave, then of course you don't have anything to prove that you that you that you go through you met those targets um and you're legally you're not supposed to be detrimentally impacted by that but if there's a box on a sheet that said to meet these targets then that sheet is not made for somebody who's been physically absent for for a year whereas in some school context they will you know anticipate that and say right well you're going on the leave, so let's think about these targets sensibly Um, before you go, because there's no way that these targets are relevant to you, so um, we're not going to hold you back next year because you're not meeting these targets that don't make sense. So let's talk about different targets that we can work towards in the time that you are here and the time that you come back again so that you go through that performance management. And, you know, just so if the culture and the attitude is um, solutions focused and for women and understanding of um, some of the issues that are faced by women, Then, then the problems don't exist. But if there's, uh, you know, an, an, a, a generous ignorance, I don't know if that's the right phrase for it, but, you know, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that. Or, oh God, I, you know, didn't mean to offend, but I didn't realize that this is how maternity leave worked. Or, God, I hadn't even noticed that was happening. Um, if there's that lack of understanding, that ignorance there, you know, even with a tiny bit of hostility in terms of, um, discriminatory attitudes or unconscious bias, then, then it's a ripple that just keeps growing. I mean, I know that even an interview on maternity leave, um, with a breastfeeding baby and everybody knowing that, I've, um, had the question, or well, I've been told, how are you going to do this? This is a really big job. Um, and there's the assumption, obviously, behind that they haven't said, how are you going to do this with, with two small children and an additional project on their side? Um, but they have doubted my capacity, where all other evidence has suggested that I would be more than capable for that job. Um, and that's genuinely somebody just being completely baffled that a woman could do more than just one thing at a time, or a mother could do just more than one thing at a time. So, um, you know, and that plays into the decision-making. They'd rather choose somebody without children... Who they feel could just go for the job, than somebody who they perceive because of, attitudinal discriminatory and biases, um, might not be as up for it, and that's where the invisible contributions to the pay gap sort of happen, and it's so hard to to fight against them because they're so hard to prove.
0: Yeah, and it's. Do you think maybe also with um, some positions or, or roles in school that you know the sort of underlying assumption for some of them is you should be working kind of ridiculous hours, or you know, know you should be during term time solely focused on this work, and you know the person appointing can't quite fathom how how you would how you would balance it there, and obviously that speaks to an unhealthy you know workload culture. Um, you know mm-hmm. in 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 that organisation but it it's 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 a reality i think often a lot of people feel that they haven't got um a lot of a lot of time spare um for anything else um mm-hmm. and so they 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 must think well how could anybody else um balance or or fit it in um mm-hmm. and uh, also maybe something about um you know, women, women themselves, particularly um, coming back from maternity, perhaps n- not feeling confident in negotiating, um, you know, mm-hmm. their, their, their salaries. What are your thoughts there?
1: I think yeah, you're absolutely right. So I think, well, firstly, the cancer of the workload associated with, um, with, with schools and the education system. And that's why it's so important that we, we empower the confidence of, of people who are like, I cannot give this time to, to a job. It's just a job. As much as I love it, it's just a job. Um I cannot physically give this time, therefore I will find ways to do as good a job in the time that I'm actually paid to do it and to lift up those voices and to empower those voices not to hide what they're doing but to to learn from those people and to make sure that those people stay in the education system because at the minute um we're losing women aged 30, 39 who potentially have childcare and um, uh demands on them and uh are returning from the term to leave but actually if we're able to retain those people and we can see how they seem to be spinning all of these plates and still leaving at 4:30 and not working evenings or weekends I don't work my evenings and weekends I think I've worked two evenings this week when my husband was out and I caught up with some marking and yeah I'm holding down positions of responsibility I'm teaching excellent lessons because I'm experienced and, and some of the stuff that I do I can do without thinking because I've been doing it for so long. And that's the sort of expertise that we want to keep in and that's the sort of working patterns that we want to learn from rather than saying, well, you know, she's not working as hard as she should be or she must be working hard in secret mm. Um, because I'm, I'm not. I work hard, but not so hard that it kills me. Um, and I think the, the confidence in, in negotiating is, is definitely... Definitely a factor. The number of times that we get, um, participants in our conversation or members of our community talk to us about negotiating, uh, flexible working when they return, uh, paying conditions when they return, um, the right to return to the same job that they left, which is, they, they have a legal right to do, but that, that doesn't always happen. Um, the right to maintain TLRs when they are off positions of responsibility on part-time hours, but negotiating reducing their hours, and, and their responsibility because that's what they choose to do. Um, and it takes real coaching to, to do that negotiation and then to have the confidence that if those negotiations aren't successful, then that's actually just step one in the negotiation procedure. And then you, you try again and you try again and try again until you reach a compromise. Um, but I think a lot of, uh, women in particular, women come back from maternity leave who are tired and doubting themselves and, um, you know, unsure and insecure because they've been out for a while and they don't know the lay of the land anymore or they feel they don't, um, they don't think they're allowed to negotiate. They feel, in some of the research that we did into women age 30 to 39, when teachers were talking about flexible working or positive working cultures, the word that came up again and again and again was I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky that they've given me part-time work, and I'm so lucky that our school has a sensible approach to work-life balance. I'm so lucky that they understand what it is to be a parent i'm so lucky that my partner is supportive and it's this real you know it 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 really shocked me because i just thought i don't think i don't think we are lucky to ask for humane working conditions or sensible attitudes towards working for the benefit of our students like if our staff aren't happy our staff aren't healthy then then what good are they to our students so um yeah, the confidence issue is real. Really, it's been researched. Women and ed talk a lot about the the confidence gap, Um and I think it's exacerbated when you are sleep deprived and think that you're going insane because you can't remember the word for a highlighter, for example.
0: With role models um, and and also a sort of group of cheerleaders almost around you that you can kind of prep for those meetings and conversations with is something that i've found quite quite useful because it's something that people don't like to talk Mm -hmm. about very openly and sometimes it's easier to talk to people outside of your organization and it's beneficial to talk to people outside of your organization Mm -hmm. about um you know the remuneration that they've gotten um and and to just have Mm -hmm. a bunch of people going go you you know building that confidence and saying this is This is, you know, you're legitimate in asking for this um, and kind of building your confidence rather than, Mm -hmm. as you say, at that that time when you could be feeling quite vulnerable coming back to work and just going, oh, no, it's fine. I'll just take what I'm given and be quiet and go away. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, uh, really, really interesting um, to to think about that. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously it's called the maternity teacher, maternity teacher project. Um, um, and Mm -hmm. linked to that gender pay gap issue um, is is, I'm sort of interested to know more any research you've done about the kind of take up of shared parental leave in in education and um, the experience of any of your paternity teacher participants
1: Um so as you can probably imagine we are more maternity heavy than we are paternity heavy, but we do have um a really wonderful group of involved fathers, um, and just men generally in our community. Um, there <laughs> just like there's very little um research into why women are leaving age thirty to thirty nine, we've had to do that research. Um there's also very little research into parenthood in, in general and education. It's a real sort of data void um, there. So Uh, I know that across all industries, um, shared parental leave up is something like less than 5%, um, but within education in particular, I couldn't tell you. It would be really interesting to know. Um, I have a feeling that it would be much, much lower than that, um, particularly because men are a minority in the education sector, so we have far more female teachers than we do male. We therefore have far more mother teachers than we do have father teachers. Um, but also because of the of the financials and again the logistics involved in the finances. Um, if a male teacher has 13 weeks of holiday a year um, and they are the breadwinner, it doesn't make sense for them to go down to 140 pounds a week because men only get statutory pay um, on their shared parental leave. They don't get um, any sort of anywhere near the package that women get. Um, women get two weeks, at 100% four weeks maybe, and two or four weeks at 90, and then up to 12 weeks at 50% percent they pay. that's burden the book um, uh, arrangements, and then just get their 140 a week, uh, which if you are the, the breadwinner, when you've got increasingly more mouths to feed, you're not going to do that, you're not going to take that cut for your family um, unless your wife is in a different industry and is... Is on some sort of maternity package or returning to a job that can cover those expenses. Um, and whilst that that does happen, and that's um, there's a theme there in terms of men who do take up shared parental leave often, um, it's their it's their wives who are the breadwinners there. Um, it's not it's not the norm um, unfortunately yet. Um, and and so a lot of Father teachers would rather wait for their six weeks of summer holidays when they can be paid full time to be at home with their children or wait for their Easter holidays. Um, but I think there's a there's an unspoken experience there that, that also needs to be talked about more. A lot of men are going right back to the chalk face with the challenging environments that they might teach in and the emotionally demanding and stren- you know, strenuous um, workplaces they might teach in with no soup. Um, and they're expected to do you know, their full days, their marketing, their planning, all their leadership responsibilities, Um, when they've got a two-week-old baby at home. And even if you have a three-bedroom house, four-bedroom house, where you can go and sleep in the other room, babies scream really loudly. So um, it's unlikely that they're getting full nights of sleep and yet they're still being expected to keep going. And so there's all these sorts of um, stereotypes around men just continuing and continuing that are equally as, as damaging as those who, around women who are, you know, nurturing life-givers. Um, and I think that's these are conversations that the, the men in our community and the fraternity teachers are really helping to, to voice. Um, so I think any... Female dominant group can get a little bit self-involved with our, you know, we have it so like, difficult and you no, know, men don't understand what it's like. And actually we've got some amazing voices in our community who say, well, actually this is my experience and maybe you are creating a problem here where there is none. Or maybe if you had just tried to speak, you know, in this way or to this person, then there wouldn't have been the issue that has, has been created. And, as much as I, don't, <laughs> I'm going to really go into some sort of stereotype here. You know, as as much as I don't want to say that women can be hysterical sometimes, I think emotions are valid. Um, there can be a real calm and um, wisdom that comes from seeing different perspectives of things and hearing different perspectives of things. But also, you know, that that joint conversation of men who are invested. In, in these women's experiences and really listening and saying actually this isn't just your experience I'm a parent too and this is my experience and I'm entitled to, to be a part of this conversation as well and that's so valuable and so important because without men saying I want as well as women saying I want then we're not going to have the, the equality at home in, in the workplace that, that is going to be beneficial for us.
0: Yeah as you say and, and it is so is so vital for for that equality conversation because you know children are always going to need parenting and somebody has Mm -hmm. to be doing it and you can't you know just just have all of these barriers um removed and changed on a on a female um side if you don't have corresponding um for the other for the other partner in some way to to shift up mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. i think it's that is a re it's a really hard conversation um to, to start because um as you, as you say it's it, 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 those 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 men's voices are quite quiet and have you know have to tread quite quite carefully um and um you know often pe- people taking mm-hmm. pa- parental leave they might be the first person in an organization to do that and have people questioned and say you know why um mm-hmm whereas if you're if you're a pregnant woman there's no argument mm-hmm. you can, you can get maternity leave and it's gonna be it's gonna be okay mm-hmm. um that's except
1: oh. I tell you some of the most interesting voices in that conversation are, um, are LGBT, um parents who for them you know adoption leave or surrogacy or um you know maternity leave where one mother is is taking the maternity leave because she's the birth mother but the other mother is not a mother you know and all those sort of associations that we have with gender um when when they're applied to a a same-sex couple or even single parents who you know the the rule the the mainstream rules don't necessarily apply to them those conversations become so farcical and the, the expectations and our our structures become so ridiculous because they just don't work so you know, if you're talking to to a lesbian couple who have children, and you're referring to one person taking paternity leave and one person taking maternity leave, that just doesn't doesn't make any sense. Um, and if you're saying things like, "Oh, well, you know, mothers need longer maternity leave because they are naturally more nurturing as women," and yet both of the parents are are women, or well, neither, neither of the parents are women, then you know, you're really challenging some of the balmy balmy conversations that we have around. Rights to time with our children, or rights to time at work, or rights to pay, or rights to um, care and self-care and well-being. Um, so having those voices as part of our part of our community are really powerful as well.
0: And and I think it is it's it's, it's seeing the two sides of the coin and saying you know this is a, a, ch- a child will be parented and that involves two people give and take compromise and flexibility on all sides in an in an ideal in an ideal situation or one that you know financially um mm-hmm. so yeah just thinking about that sort of flexibility um flexible working something we're talking about kind of more um you know with the, with the with the pandemic and and people working from home and it's 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 becoming more kind of normalized in 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 some sectors but it, it, the reality is it's still it's still seen as a bit of a challenge uh, for schools announcements um this week from 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 government looking at kind of um um highlighting good practice around it um but so what what are you what are your thoughts do you think the experiences of of people admittedly not working flexibly they were doing childcare and attempting to do their job <laughs> during lockdown do you, do you think that's going to lead to more more progress on on fl, sort of flexible working for teachers um
1: i hope so um whether that actually happens on the ground is is a, a different scenario but again you've got a sort of very sensible realistic voice um saying flexible working is is a positive thing and it helps with the education sector and wanes and is helpful for the safety of our country, you know, having as few people as possible all gathered together is a good idea. Um, or having people not traveling at peak times right now is a good idea. Um, or thinking of creative solutions when people are having to self isolate is a good idea. So, um, as well as a sort of right now COVID specific safety measure, flexible working is a, is a good idea. But I mean, for the last how, however long have I been living in the for four, four and a half years, the DFE have been talking about flexible working and pushing for flexible working in schools and trying to get um schools to adopt more flexible working practices. They've had whole tag teams and you know people who have been responsible for this come and go and uh we've met them all, hello. Um and nothing seems to nothing well, things are changing, things are changing, but they seem to be changing at glass and speed. Um and it, it really is again it doesn't really matter what the law says or what the government are uh, are saying. If it's not happening within schools because of individual school leaders' resistance to it, um, then it's not going to happen for the, for the 80 or the 200 staff in that school. So that's why school leaders are so vital in um, ensuring that the people who are at the top there have got Training and unconscious bias um, have got a good understanding and, and governors as well in schools have a good understanding of the benefits of flexible working or the ways that flexible working can work in schools because not all flexible working models will work. You know, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to be in front of the students. Um, but, you know, the school leaders are, are so important and I think Anecdotally, what I've heard is you've either, either had school leaders that have always been fairly flex-friendly or solutions-focused or innovative who are working around things and, and, you know, embracing some of the flexible working cultures that have come from, from COVID. Uh, and then school leaders who really just want things to go back to the way they were before. And that's a very understandable human response to, to this, in, you know, crazy time that we're living in. Um, but they are still insisting on specific directed time, you know, longer hours in the evening. We've just got to keep working harder, be more present for the students. This is not a time to be making sexual rep- working requests. We've got far more important things to be thinking about. And actually, that knee-jerk reaction is is going to last for for a short-term period, but it's never going to build a sustainable system that needs to change with the world that we we are living in and the workforce that we we are coming across and and the increasing equality that we do have between men and women that mean that more mothers do want to care for children and more mothers want to, to be present in both the workplace and at home or people don't want to be doing the same job day in, day out. They want to have variety in their working lives, whether they're parents or not. They want to pursue other interests they want to be able to see their friends they want to take care of their, their mental health they want to see academic study in other areas you know we're not dealing with the same workforce that we had 20 30 years ago
0: yeah and i and i do wonder if people will sort of there'll be that sort of low hanging fruit around okay well we can all do staff meetings on zoom <laughs> um you know mm-hmm. all that sort of thing and that um it will be it'll be harder to sort of people to actually um get sort of individualized i guess flexible um working um and that you know as you know we get into inevitably a tougher financial climate as you say governing bodies and others may struggle to to, to make those decisions around you know given that as you say we are in a certain amount of bodies need to be in front of a certain amount of children and there isn't an unlimited resource to cover that um, that you know having having a good some good guidance and and a good a better understanding of that would would obviously help um, in 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 some situations what would your advice sort of in general be um, to people who are thinking about flexible working requests and how 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 best to go about it
1: I think the important thing to focus on especially right now is outcomes not hours, so can I achieve the the required outcomes in the hours that I am suggesting, or what is my um what's, what's the concrete action plan that I am offering to my uh, my school leadership team to show them you know how this will work because actually it, as much as it is about outcomes not hours but it's also down to individual context and there will be some teachers who you know, can work three days a week and get some results across the board in every aspect of what they do because because they are you know that that kind of person or they have been doing their job for as as long as they have or they have those expertise in that area and there will be other teachers who arguably will have to work harder to get the outcomes that are required of them for, for whatever reason um, so it's about considering your specific context and your school specific context and providing concrete details to your head teacher or your your governing body about how we work because. With the best will in the world, a head teacher can't say yes to something if they can't see how it will work and there's a fear that it will be detrimental to their students and they can't say yes to something that, that isn't planned out and well thought out. So if you're coming to them with, with a game plan, essentially, and and giving them three, you know, an option A, B and C scenario, all of which you are happy with, i.e. there might be some compromises there that aren't ideal in situation B, but you're still happy with that compromise. Then you're showing you're always almost upward managing in some ways you're showing your your head your head teacher your, your principal your governing body how it work um and therefore you're giving as well as as asking um in that situation and it's that cooperation working together that will i think in any situation in any business is is how you get results and you move forwards um where where problems are presented or where change is presented
0: great stuff some really really practical advice there and just thinking um towards the the future what what are your plans to further develop and and grow the project
1: so we are in the middle of applying for charity status which is very exciting um at the minute we are just a community organization community organisation. I'm not sure entirely what our legal structure is um we don't have one essentially um but as I've, I've reduced my teaching hours, my school hours to four days a week, so I do work part-time and I work one day a week on the Entity Project, we're looking at how um, our legal structures can continue to, to grow the work that we do. Um, we get ever-increasing demand for pro bono accreditation spaces. Um, and there's uh, big work to do in terms of the way we work with schools and the way we are Influencing systemic change rather than just grassroots change with the teachers that we work with. Um, because increasingly, as much as our teachers can come in our accreditation, return to work constants, confidence, get promotions, um, work in ways that are sustainable to them, uh, stay in the education system, um, field for field, uh, if, if the schools that they're going back into aren't changing and the leadership structures aren't changing and the attitudes aren't changing, then um, they're just going to hit a brick wall slightly later than they otherwise would have done. So um, we're looking more and more at how we can work with schools. We've got a research project that we are um, in the process of trying to get published um, formally with various um, think tanks that we are in contact with, and that's the women aged 30 to 39, that, age, that demographic. We've completed a whole load of studies into why those teachers were saying and why those teachers are leaving um, each year. So it'd be exciting to get that out there um, and just growing our influence really and, and making sure that as many women as, as want it and as many men as want it can have access to our network and um, the empowering work that we do.
0: Fantastic. And if people want to know more, where should they go?
1: www.ntpt.org.uk is our website and that is a sort of one-stop shop for that we do. Um, but also we're very active on social media. So at is our Twitter handle and our hashtag is hashtag MTPTProject. We're also on Instagram at MTPTProject. Uh, we're on Facebook with the Project Connect. We're on LinkedIn at the MTPTProject. Um, and so there's lots of ways to sort of see what we do um, and get involved in discussion and become members to join us for our afternoon teas and our coffee mornings. Um, and we've got the schools membership package as well for schools that are interested in uh, benefiting from consultation and um, policy templates that will support working practices for parent teachers.
0: Fantastic stuff, and we'll we'll put a link to your website in the notes for, from this podcast. And anything else you'd like to say to our listeners in closing?
1: Um, I think just uh, communication really is our big our big uh, advice for for schools and individuals. If, if you want something, talk to each other about it, talk to your community, talk to your networks, talk to your leadership teams, um, talk to your line managers. And part the first step is, is opening up conversation to to understand each other a little better and listening to each other when those conversations happen.
0: Fantastic stuff. And thank you so much for talking to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.